You're listening to Grounded, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Energy. Hello, and welcome to our fifth episode of Grounded. Today, we're talking bioenergy and turning trees into jet fuel. Greenwood Resources is an Oregon-based company doing fascinating work in bioenergy and biomass. And it's part of a Northwest consortium, Advanced Hardwood Biofuels, which is researching and developing ways to grow hybrid poplar trees to turn into liquid biofuels, including a field of poplars in Jefferson, Oregon. I'm joined today by a special guest from Greenwood Resources. Would you please introduce yourself? I'm Brian Stanton, Greenwood Resources Chief Science Officer. I'm also the um, representative to the company uh, to advance hardwoods biofuels. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, Greenwood Resources? What do you do here? I'm the the chief science officer in charge of developing uh, new plantation varieties of trees that are managed in our investment funds. Uh, We also develop the growing techniques and all other aspects of forestry that are needed to scientifically grow the trees in a sustainable fashion. And what are you growing the trees for? Well, Greenwood Resources manages a a wide range of species from conifers to hardwoods for multiple markets, Uh, sawnwood products, uh, veneers for plywood manufacturing, uh, pulp and paper, and bioenergy. When I talk about bioenergy, I'm referring to energy that's produced from biomass that's developed by photosynthetically active organisms, plants and algae. How many trees do you have out there? How much how no, much countless, land? <laughs> countless. Countless. <laughs> yeah, we manage, um, in the United States, we manage coastal hemlock and Douglas fir plantations here in Oregon. In the southeast, we manage loblolly pine plantations. And then in South America, uh, plantations of eucalyptus, malina, and soon teak and African mahogany. And we are managing poplar. Uh, importantly for biomass production uh, for renewable energy in Poland. In Poland? In Poland, that's, that's correct. Yeah. And so the, the trees that you're growing for bioenergy and biomass, are they for uh, producing electricity exclusively, or are there other renewable fuels? Right now, they are being grown for cogeneration, producing electricity and heat. What the company sees as the real future in renewable bioenergy markets is in liquid transportation fuels, specifically aviation fuels, both for the commercial fleets as well as our military fleets. So your dream is to fuel airplanes with trees. That's right. That's pretty amazing. It is. In fact, though, it's happening already. Alaska Airlines last November flew one of their Boeing jets, commercial jet from SeaTac to Washington, D.C., fueled in part by biofuels made from trees. Greenwood, uh, it's an Oregon company, an Oregon-grown company. Our founder, Jeff Nuss, is from Wallowa County. He founded Greenwood in 1998. The company began as an environmental consulting company, uh, but had uh, grown largely by developing poplar for a variety of markets. And you might be aware of the poplar plantation in Boardman, Oregon. Yeah, it's, it's right along the freeway, right? It's right along yeah. the freeway, and it, it, it grew poplar on 12-year rotations for the production of both saw and wood products, working in conjunction with Collins Company, 
as well as veneer for Columbia Forest products. So it's a great success story. Unfortunately, it's being transitioned back to uh, dairy farming and row cropping agriculture. Greenwood uh, was acquired um, in 2012 by uh, TIAA, Teachers Insurance uh, Annuity Association. So they're a Fortune 100 uh, financial service company. They have a very large presence in agricultural investment, and now they're making inroads into uh, timber investments with Greenwood. So Greenwood Resources is in this consortium with eight other partner institutions calling yourselves Advanced Hardwood Biofuels Northwest. In 2011, USDA NIFA, the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, uh, through their AFRI project, AFRI is Agricultural Food Research Initiative, they released a solicitation for proposals that would address regional needs for sustainable bioenergy. Uh, these were very large awards that they were advertising. And a team uh, came together here in the Northwest led by the University of Washington. Rick Gustafson is our principal investigator. And what the University of Washington did was to identify hybrid poplar as the premier woody crop species for renewable bioenergy in the Pacific Northwest. Now, why is that? Uh, USDA and the Department of Energy uh, have been studying the ability of this country to produce uh, a billion tons of cellulosic resources on an annual basis by the year 2030. A billion tons? A billion tons. Do you know where we are right now? Oh, uh, we have that capability, yeah. but uh, we are not realizing it because the market uh, has not developed. But their projection was that a billion tons, or actually a little more, 1.3 billion tons of biomass could be sustainably produced in this country, and that could be converted into biofuels uh, at the rate of 30% of the gasoline consumption as measured in 2004. So 30%. 30%. That's so huge. That is a, it's a significant uh, contribution by the year 2030, just 13 Which is years just away. around the corner. Just right around the corner. But significantly in that study, the billion ton study, which has been updated uh, two times since the original study in 2004, is that among all sources of biomass, agricultural residues, logging residues, uh, municipal solid waste, purpose-grown crops are considered of great importance. In fact, they will command the lion's share of biomass that's delivered to the market in 2030. And among the purpose-grown crops, and by purpose-grown crops, I mean crops that are grown specifically for the renewable bioenergy industry, the biorefineries that produce the fuels. Among the crops that will fuel those refineries, switchgrass and miscanthus, there are some woody perennials, willow and poplar being prominently mentioned in the study. So woody perennials, these are trees that can be harvested on very short rotations, producing large amounts of biomass, and then the stands regenerate or regrow by simply allowing the stump of the tree to sprout, or to use the technical term, they coppice back. 
So you can harvest the tree and then you don't even have to do anything else really. It will just regrow in its place. With minimal input, that's correct. So what we are, the model rather that we have developed in AHB is to plant the tree once, harvest it after three years, and then continuing that process for seven times. So over a 21 year period, you would harvest seven times, but only plant once regenerating after each harvest cycle the crop by simply allowing the stump to re-sprout. It works very well in willow. It works very well in poplar. These two species are prominently mentioned in the billion-ton study with very good support. So the project has a number of test sites growing right now, right? That's right. We, at the outset of AHB, Advanced Hardwoods Biofuels, we recognize that this is not only research, but it is demonstration. We really need to demonstrate the viability of this industry as a new crop for our rural economies. And to do that, we define the Northwest uh, as Western Montana, Idaho, Oregon, Washington, and Northern California. We identified a need to develop demonstration farms, large 50 to 100 acre farms with which we could grow the crop using multiple varieties of hybrid poplar and thereby demonstrate in a very credible way the growing cost, the growing practices, the harvesting technology, and most importantly, the yields that would be realized. And in this way, demonstrating all of these important metrics to our rural economies, we, with USDA NIFA support, we're de-risking. We feel like we're de-risking the industry. We're de-risking the investment that farmers would put into this. We're de-risking the position that institutional investment community investors would uh, normally assume, if not for the research of AHB. That's incredible. Yeah, so there's yeah. one, there's a, a demonstration farm in Hayden, Idaho, in the Idaho Panhandle, just outside of Coeur d'Alene. There's one in the North Puget Sound region of Washington, uh, near Mount Vernon. There's one south of Salem here in Oregon, and there, there's one in uh, Clarksburg, California, in the Sacramento River Delta. So you were awarded the, the grant funds in 2011, right? Correct. To commence work in 2012. In 2012. So have you gone through a, a grow and a harvest yet? We have. We have. So How did the, that go? It went very well. Uh, the project's concluding here in 2017. So it was a five-year award. And to fit the project within that time frame, we planted in 2012. We harvested in 2013 on a two-year cycle. And then we regrew the crop for the ensuing three-year period, so we're just finishing up right now. So you're, you're actively harvesting now? We are actively harvesting right now, yeah. We tend to harvest in the dormant seasons, the fall and winter, so we're completing a harvest in Jefferson, our Oregon site south of Salem, and we will be uh, harvesting again this fall. How did you find the land in Jefferson to grow these trees? It was from, uh, that's an interesting question, uh, it was from as many uh, contacts were made. It was a personal contact, a long-standing contact, a contact with a grower uh, in the Willamette Valley 
uh, a grower who is very progressive in his view of agriculture, an individual who looked at poplar many years ago as a feedstock for the local pulp and paper industry. And this is Rob Miller. And Rob Miller, very early on, began experimenting, and by very early on, I mean going back to the 1980s, when researchers at um, Washington State University and the University of Washington, uh, Paul Heilman and Ronnie Stetler, started to look at the genetics as well as the cultivation needs of hybrid poplar and how it could produce uh, large amounts of renewable fiber for area pulp and paper mills. And Rob Miller uh, got involved in this. He did some early testing. And through that connection, um, I previously had worked within the pulp and paper industry. I knew Rob, and I just knew. That you just he called, w- called him up and said, hey, Rob, I have an yeah, idea for you. And he was very enthusiastic <laughs> great. Uh, to support us. He provided to us 86 acres. Uh, of land uh, that had been in small grain cropping, and we were off and running. So after you harvest, uh, you said you're wrapping up now, and you're harvesting now in Jefferson if the weather ever dries out a little bit. Uh, So what happens to his land after that? Will he uh, pull up the stumps and then go back to row cropping, or has he decided? Uh, We haven't spoken to him exactly what he will do with the land at the conclusion now that we're concluding the project. But... uh, and. That's a very good question. Uh, One of the important components of the system, the growing system that we want to demonstrate, is what happens after that 21-year cycle. Uh, How do you restore the land? How do you restore the land in a way that uh, it's conducive to go back into agriculture? So uh, we are looking at different technologies, grinding technologies, root extraction technologies, mulching technologies, to remove the root stock and return the land to, them, uh, to Rob after we take the last of the trees off the, off the site. So this demonstration project really is going from the beginning all the way back to restoration. That's right. So it's just full circle. Soup the nuts. That's How do you great. prepare the site? How do you plant the site? How do you tend the crop? How do you harvest the crop? And then how do you restore the site at the end of that that cycle? And I I will say that uh, we are talking about agricultural lands. We're starting on agricultural lands, but the, the future of this industry is really on agricultural lands that are underproductive or, or they're not in production. They're more of marginal agricultural quality. Um, so less productive sites, uh, sites that may be um, compromised by maybe a, a high salinity content to the soil or maybe high pH, uh, they're too alkaline, uh, or maybe they're too wet or too dry. Those are the kinds of sites uh, that we want to target with this new crop. Those sites would be less costly. They would not compete with food production. And I think most importantly, the net uh, carbon dioxide uh, or carbon sequestration balance will be greater because we're putting onto those sites crops that will, a crop, hybrid poplar, that will grow, that will sequester carbon. Uh, where carbon is not being sequestered today. So for those three reasons, that's what we want to target. Those, that's the classification of sites we want to target. Low cost, good environmental benefits accruing from carbon sequestration, 
and lack of competition with food production. Well, and it seems like it would also possibly benefit the landowner if the landowner isn't able to really use their land to to successfully grow something else, yep. they have this opportunity to grow poplars or willow that are it's hardier and can survive in, in soils that might not be ideal. That's right. That's right. That's a good point, a very good point, because that is a priority of USDA NIFA that funds this work. They want to see a diversification of the portfolio of crops that rural economies can benefit from and will sustain rural economies. For, so for that very reason, that, that is their priority. It is our future. And I'll, I'll say this, um, the varieties that we are growing under AHB for the demonstration of this system, those varieties were not developed for this market. They were developed for solid wood markets. They are not necessarily the best for bioenergy. Having said that, we're growing them because they are the ones that are currently available. But within, and I'll use the scientific term for poplar, populus, the genus populus, within the genus populus, there is a, it's virtually untapped as a genetic resource for plant improvement. And I fully uh, believe that the opportunity to selectively breed poplars for sites of marginal agricultural quality, at the same time producing biomass that undergoes conversion to liquid transportation fuels more economically is enormous. It's an enormous, largely untapped resource. And to really tie into that resource, Greenwood Resources, separate from AHB, is working with the Department of Energy's Bioenergy Science Center at Oak Ridge National Laboratory, where there is a tremendous effort to understand how the genome, the genetic architecture of populace is constructed and how traits can be identified for very efficient exploitation through breeding and selection of those traits that lead to adaptation to stressful sites, adaptation to sites of marginal quality, and at the same time produce credible biomass yields, biomass that undergoes conversion very efficiently. So it's a great story. Yeah, it really is. So before we get into the cool part of conversion, how do you harvest the trees? I was lucky enough to go out to Jefferson and see the trees in action, uh, and it looks like kind of a giant lawnmower that just goes through and mows mows through the field. That, that's a great description. So the harvester we're using, we call it a bioharvester. It was um, manufactured by Case New Holland Agriculture. They're a very innovative um, and a major uh, company in the area of agricultural farming equipment, tractors and harvesters and whatnot. But this is a, a standard forage harvester that has been fitted with a, what's called a, a head the cutting head. Uh, it's a 90-80 model harvester with a 130 poplar head FB cut cutter. And this, this machine, uh, two circular saws, cut this, cuts the trees, and then there are feed rolls that feed the tree into a chopping unit within the bowels of the machine that chips the trees 
and then the chips are blown through a spout into a wagon that's pulled by a tractor to the farm gate where it's reloaded into a truck for delivery to the refinery. It's a very efficient system. They call it a single pass system. It performs all essential operations. It cuts the trees, it chips the trees, it blows the trees into a delivery wagon. We think we can do this for about six to eight dollars a green ton. So we can deliver to the edge of the field a ton, a green ton of biomass for six to eight dollars. Right now, I think we're about 12, 10 to twelve dollars, and we're working on lowering that cost. That I mean, that seems pretty economical if you it think is. about how much is oh, yeah. a ton is yeah. a huge yeah. amount. It's it is, and <laughs> by forestry standards, it's lower than anything you'll see in the woods here sure. in Oregon or mm-hmm. elsewhere in the country. So if somebody is a biomass collector and they go out and, and get clear-cut materials, yeah. that's more expensive in the That is. Run. Well, it, they won't have to pay for the growing cost, and the, the transportation cost may be higher. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that's a, a good point. Um, the biomass that the bioeconomy will rely upon in the future won't come solely from purpose-grown crops. So there will be residuals, as I mentioned earlier. But purpose-grown crops uh, hold a, um, a very important place in the portfolio of everything that the wood basket is filled with. And that's because it's reliable. The, the finery operators know it's there for them when they need it. It's um, not uh, subject to uh, as much variation in pricing as other sources. So residuals from logging operations, maybe mill waste, that's all dependent upon the housing market and saw logs being cut into sure, two by sure. fours. And when the housing market is going great guns, those residuals might be available at a, at a certain price. When the housing starts aren't as, they're not as um, prevalent then the cost of those residuals would go up. And you don't see that fluctuation with purpose-grown trees. So the trees are harvested and then they're delivered to a refinery. I think that most people are probably pretty familiar with trees grown uh, to burn to make electricity, but you're doing something else here. We are. Okay, so how on earth uh, do you get a tree to power a plane. We're growing cellulose. We, we talk about growing trees, but what we're really growing is cellulose. And cellulose is a biopolymer. Uh, it's probably the most common biopolymer plant by, in the world. Uh, and it's a, a chain of sugars, glucose, uh, that are put together and held together in a very, uh, in, way of great integrity in the cell wall of the plants designed to hold the tree up. Mm-hmm. If you can uh, deconstruct that cell wall and break it apart, remove the lignin, or that phenolic compound, that glue that holds the cellulose together in the cell wall, if you can remove that lignin and there's another compound, another polymer, pectin, that holds the, the cell wall together, if you can deconstruct that cell wall, if you can get that cellulose free and then chop it up into its individual sugar units and then feed those sugar units to a microbe 
maybe a bacterium or maybe a yeast cell that ferments that sugar into an alcohol. And then that alcohol can be converted into a hydrocarbon fuel. It sounds complex, but it has been worked out under AHB. It's, it's fermentation technology. It's taking a source of cellulose, removing the sugars, having those sugars fermented to produce an alcohol, and then converting that alcohol to a hydrocarbon fuel that can be dropped into the infrastructure that's used to deliver petroleum-derived fuels to airplanes, uh, gas stations, and to diesel trucks. So in addition to airplanes, someday my car could run on, on tree-produced fuel. That's correct. But I think the, the focus is on aviation technology because in our uh, cars, there's always the future of electric engines. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not going to work with aviation. We, I, I can't say never, but the, the thought is... <laughs> not anytime <that> soon. <laughs> not every time soon will there be the batteries that have the, the power and the life to fuel jets for transcontinental flights. That don't weigh more than the plane itself. That don't weigh more right. than the plane itself. That's right. So that's where the focus is. And it's working. It is working. As I said, Alaska Airlines has flown its jets on biofuels made from trees here in the Northwest. What are the challenges uh, that you're facing to really get this going, to get into the market on a regular basis? It's the petroleum industry. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pricing in the market. Uh, we know we can grow the biomass. We know how to do that. We know how to convert to produce the fuels. We're aware of the, um, the many ecosystem services that growing the poplar provides, cleaning the water, improving the soil, sequestering carbon, all great environmental benefits. But right now, uh, we're not cost competitive with petroleum-derived aviation fuel. You know, when um, USDA NIFA decided to uh, make a run at this and release the solicitation for the AFRI initiative, aviation fuel, or rather petroleum crude, was selling for 120 to 120 $50 a barrel. Today, it's $50 a barrel. Right, right. Uh, and that's a reflection of these new wonderful extraction technologies that the industry, the petroleum industry, has come up with. So we're not importing as much oil into this country as we had before. We're producing oil much at a much less cost than before, $50 a barrel. Right now, to produce a gallon of biojet fuel with poplar costs about $2.50 a gallon. That's just the cash production cost. Right now, aviation fuel is selling for $1.50 a gallon. So our, just our cash production costs, just the cash production costs are that much higher than the selling price of aviation fuel, which I think is a reflection of the low global market pricing for crude oil. It needs to be about $100 a barrel before we can become cost competitive. I think once we are at that point, I think uh, Greenwood Resources and the institutional investment community with whom we work on our timber funds, I think you'll see some real movement into developing uh, an investment fund here in Oregon 
around biomass for aviation fuel. And that's the bioeconomy. Mm-hmm. Bioeconomy is growing sustainable feedstock for local refineries to provide local sources of energy for industries and, and communities. Well, and I think it, you're in the right place for it, too. I mean, Oregonians really value sustainability and things that are good for envi- our environment because we want our state to stay green. And so That's right. I think you're in the right spot for it. I think so. And it sounds like your research could also play a role in this is as you figure out those hybrids, those uh, yeah. that work the best, that grow fast in, in harsh conditions, it, it seems like your price will probably go down in that regard, too. We, we hope. That's right. right. And there are other technologies. We're working with researchers at uh, the University of Washington, Oregon State, Dr. Uh, Posey Busby, uh, the University of Idaho. We're working with um, a wonderful company out of California, Intrinsic Technologies, that have taken this technology that's developed at these three universities, and this technology is endophyte technology. So endophytes are microbes, uh, bacteria in many cases, that live within the plants that provide a benefit to the plant. Maybe they're fixing atmospheric nitrogen, it's fertilizing the plant. Or maybe they're providing phytohormones that allow for um, growth on droughty soils. So this technology, it's not genetic technology, it's endophyte technology that has been developed at these three Northwestern universities and has been licensed for commercialization by this company out of California, Intrinsic Technologies. We're working with some of those very technologies to improve the yields and lower the growing costs of poplar. AHB, the project is wrapping up. It is. Does, will the consortium stay together on another project or do you think that you will uh, still stay connected but start working on your own thing? So what's next for you? AHB has been uncommonly successful. Uh, by all measures, uh, we have been very successful in what we have tried to do. We've really demonstrated on the agronomic side We've demonstrated how to grow the crop, how to harvest the crop. And then on the conversion side, um, our industrial partner, Zeachem, working with the University of Washington, has really demonstrated how to economically convert the biomass into fuels. And then our partners at the University of California, Davis, uh, Brian Jenkins and his collaborators, have really shown the sustainability, the economic sustainability of this of this new enterprise so it's been very successful other researchers at the university of idaho the rocky mountain wildlife institute portland state university oregon state university steve strauss have uh, shown the environmental benefits that accrue from growing hybrid poplar but now that uh, we're at the end of the program there have been many beneficial collaborations that have been developed within the network of the consortium that will continue onward. There are efforts to look for funding from other government sources to continue AHB in a more formal way. Washington State University, uh, Patricia Townsend and Kevin Zobris have been in charge of the extension program. Kate Field at Oregon State University has been in charge of the education program. So the workforce of the future is well in hand and secured. The uh, farmers, the legislators, the policymakers who really need to know about this industry are well informed by uh, 
uh, the WSU extension team. So all of that goes on. Mm -hmm. All of that goes on. Um, we've been successful. We've developed a great springboard to the future. But it does require, and this is what's really important to USDA, they want to see um, a commercial enterprise come out of AHB. We're poised for that launch. Uh, we're just waiting for the market to um, attract the investors that are needed to provide the capital for that development. Well, it sounds like a pretty exciting future. I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. I think it's good for our rural economies. I think this industry is good for the environment. I think it's good for our national security. Um, and as our population grows, as the standard of living grows um, around the world, it's good for the globe. It's clear to me that our traditional energy sources, coal, natural gas, oil, even nuclear, these are not inexhaustible. They, it's not sustainable. We will, maybe within the foreseeable future, we will run out of these sources. The bioeconomy uh, has to take wing. It, it's imperative. And I think that's where AHB will make a strong contribution. And there you have it. Someday in the near future, your vacation flight could be powered by Northwest Grown Trees. Up next for Greenwood Resources, the company will host an energy summit in August for bioenergy stakeholders to talk about ways to advance the popular biomass industry. Learn more about the company at greenwoodresources.com. See photos of Oregon's popular demonstration site and the giant tree harvester on our blog, energyinfo.oregon.gov. Learn about our work at oregon.gov energy. All episodes of Grounded are available on soundcloud.com slash Oregon Energy. Subscribe to Grounded using your favorite podcast app, including iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Until next time, thanks for listening to Grounded, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Energy.